Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Rick Gwenda. Rick is a uh, physical therapist, also uh, obviously the founder and works uh, heavily with uh, Gwenda Consulting Services, where they consult physical therapist, speech pathologist, OT, uh, in, in all types of settings. So welcome to the call here, Rick. Thanks, Chad. Looking forward to it. Great. And uh, so right, you, you, we were talking about this beforehand, but right now you split time uh, between the East and West Coast or California and Michigan. So you, And you're working with therapists all over the country, correct? Yes. Yep. I have clients basically in all 50 states. Great. And uh, that was my next question. What states are you in? So you answer that one. You um, any, uh, any, anything that you're seeing before we get started here, anything that you're seeing globally, Rick, in the marketplace right now as we emerge here from uh, the pandemic that we should be diving into? Uh, you know, obviously, I think telehealth is a big subject. Uh, you know, obviously, where it stands right now, say with the Medicare program or some other payers, and you know, where do we think it's going to go once the public health emergency ends? Uh, you know, I think I'm sure it's like with your clients. You know, I saw a lot of my clients implement telehealth uh, really when the COVID nineteen was really bad uh, in 2020. Uh, now the key is going to be as people are starting to go and have surgeries now, the vaccinations are occurring around the country. I think people are feeling more comfortable about going out, going back to physically go see a physical occupational speech language pathologist. It'd be interesting to see how PTs and OTs, SLPs that began telehealth, how are they going to continue that in what I'm going to call a hybrid model, where I think most of the clients are still going to come into the clinic but how about those clients that maybe can't come all the time? I, my hope is that some of these clients will stay with telehealth. So I think that, I think that's a big one. Uh, you know, obviously next year, I think something we'll probably talk on today is the CQ and CO modifiers for PT assistance and OT assistance that I hope you're using right now. Uh, actually, since 2020 uh, 20 for Medicare and some of the other payers, but how that's going to change payment in 2022 and what other payers do we know already going to follow along with that and then what do i think maybe other payers may do so i think those are some good topics obviously we can if we get have time getting the medicare advantage i know that's a big big topic on a lot of the, the groups i belong to especially on facebook and you know i'm out of network with medicare advantage you know how does it work if they have out of network benefits how does it work if they don't have out of network benefits things like that great so um and I can tell you're well-versed in this, by the way, I, I am going to keep referring back to your most recent impact article uh, that I have, which is the Medicare changes. Um, it, let's dive into, so you, you brought the telehealth up first. That is, um, and I'll give you a little bit of background. So I, I first did a telehealth visit in 2011. Okay. Um, I got into, so the, the laws were very gray at the time. Mm -hmm. um, obviously one of the most, um, uh, things that came to the forefront that was established quickly is I'm licensed here in Pennsylvania. I couldn't treat somebody, you know, and, and the actual patient was in California. That became a no-no. We did a self-audit. I worked with uh, Paul Welk and some mm -hmm. other 
uh, specialist at the time and they said, hey, by the way, you can't really do this. We ended it immediately. So um, in your article, you talked about, you know, yes, with the pandemic, we had this huge rush to go to telehealth and try to um, uh, mitigate the, our income loss a little bit and continue to provide services. And I love what you said there about the hybrid model. I see the same exact thing happening, not only for us, but the other owners that we work with. Um, so can you talk about not only what was in the, uh, what was released within the Medicare changes, but what should we be looking for as a practice owner in terms of uh, telehealth? How, how do we work that into our plan here moving forward? Yeah, so, you know, obviously before COVID-19, before the public health emergency, you know, obviously the Medicare program did not pay for outpatient physical occupational speech therapy services delivered via telehealth because per the law, none of those three professionals, those three disciplines are authorized providers of telehealth services. You know, because of COVID-19, the public health emergency, uh, CMS did add PTs, OTs, SLPs as authorized telehealth providers uh, during the public health emergency. Now keep in mind, this did not come out for the private practice therapists until the, uh, I think it was came out at the end of April of 2020. And then for facility-based therapists, like those that practice in the hospital outpatient therapy department, a rehab agency, the CMS did not add them until May of 2020. Uh, with the retro, it's kind of funny, the, the retro effective date for all this was back to March 1 of 2020. So you know, right now, as you and I are doing this podcast today, the public health emergency is in effect through uh, July 19th of 2021. Now, we do expect that to get, you know, continued again, extended again. Uh, you know, everything we're hearing is we expect it to continue through the end of 2021. But again, they can only extend it 90 days at a time. So right now, during the public health emergency, PTs, OTs, SLPs can treat a Medicare beneficiary uh, for outpatient therapy services delivered via telehealth. Submit that to Medicare, and Medicare will pay your claim. Now, a question I get asked a lot is, well, what if I'm not a Medicare provider, or what if I just don't want to submit to Medicare, can I charge the Medicare patient cash? And the answer right now is no, uh, because right now, because it is now a covered benefit under the Medicare program during the public health emergency, you have to be enrolled in the Medicare program. You have to submit claims to your Medicare administrative contractor. Now, barring any legislation that is passed in Congress, once the public health emergency ends, PTs, OTs, and SLPs will no, no longer be considered authorized providers of telehealth services under the Medicare program. And because of that, then PTs, OTs, SLPs then could charge Medicare beneficiaries cash for services delivered via telehealth in an ABN, an advanced beneficiary notice of non-coverage would not be required uh, because an ABN is only required when normally the services are covered by the Medicare program, but under the circumstance, you don't expect Medicare to pay. But once the public health emergency is over, uh, telehealth done by PTOTSLP is statutorily excluded. Now, the one exception here that everybody thinks that because in, in the final rule, CMS did come out and say, you know, they, they did add many of the CPT codes used by PTs, OTs, and SLPs as category three 
CPT codes. And what this is going to do is in the year the public health emergency is declared over, physicians who employ therapists, who employ PTs, OTs, SLPs, and those therapists build incident to the physician, they're going to be able to continue to be paid for telehealth until December 31st of the year in which the public health emergency is declared over. So for example, let's just say hypothetically, public health emergency ends July 20th of 2021. PTs, OTs, SLPs that either own their own practice or they work in a hospital outpatient setting, skilled nursing facility, uh, rehab agency, they can no longer be paid by Medi the Medicare program for services delivered via telehealth. However, if there's a PT, an OT, an SLP, if they're employed in a physician-owned practice and they're billing incident to the physician, meaning the PT treats the Medicare patient, but instead of submitting the claim under your own NPI number, the claim is submitted under the physician's NPI number that's on the premise supervising you. That will continue to be able to do until December 31st of 2021 whereby if the public health emergency is declared over, say on January 22nd, 2022, you can do that until December 31 of 2022. So there's confusion out there because people think, well, PTs, OTs, SLPs can still do telehealth until December 31 of the applicable year, but that only applies incident to billing if you're employed in a physician-owned practice. Great. Um, did not know the uh, discernment or disparity, never understood the difference. So thank you for clarifying that. You, you, you brought something up there, which was uh, that there's a misconception in Medicare around out of network. In preparation for this, you and I started talking about that. Um, I still talk with uh, owners that consider going out of network with, uh, well, what they're calling out of network with Medicare, which I call non-par. I think that's the correct terminology there. Um, we participate with Medicare and I really don't <laughs> worry about it uh, very much, but I know it, it causes confusion for owners. So can you go through that a little bit? Um, because it's not just as simple as saying, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm no longer going to participate with Medicare. I can start charging cash for uh, physical therapy services. Can you talk about some of the pitfalls you see there, Rick? Correct. So, you know, again, as, as a PT and OT and SLP in private practice, if you want to treat Medicare beneficiaries for services that would be covered and paid for by the Medicare program, you must enroll in the Medicare program, submit claims to the Medicare contractor. Uh, there is no quote opt out for PTs, OTs, SLPs. So then of course that PTs, OTs, SLPs say, well, Rick, I'm not opting out because I've never enrolled. So how can I opt out? Well, again, you must enroll. So again, if you want to treat patients for services that are covered by the Medicare program, you must enroll in Medicare. Now, when you enroll in Medicare, you have an option of being either a participating provider or a non-participating provider. And over 99% of the therapists in private practice that enroll in the Medicare program, they select to be a participating provider. And the reason they do that is there's less cost to the Medicare beneficiary. There's less out-of-pocket uh, financial responsibility to the Medicare beneficiary. 
So as being a participating provider, the Medicare program will pay 80% of the allowed amount for that visit, for the, your charges. The patient's secondary insurance, typically known as Medigap, it's a kind of a supplemental insurance, or if they don't have it, possibly the patient would be responsible for the other 20%. So let's just say whatever CPT codes you charge that day, let's say the Medicare allowed amount after the multiple procedure payment reduction has been applied is $100. The Medicare program would pay you $80. The patient's secondary insurance, if they have it, if not, the patient may be responsible for the other $20. The other option is you are a non-participating provider. And people think, well, Rick, I'm non-participating. Means I don't have to enroll in Medicare. No, you have to enroll in Medicare and you select to be a non-participating provider. Now, when you enroll as a participating provider, you automatically agree to accept assignment on every claim you submit. And by accepting assignment, Medicare pays 80%. The secondary insurance of the patient pays the other 20%. When you're a non-participating provider, on a claim-by-claim -claim basis, you have the option of either accepting assignment or not accepting assignment. Now, if you choose to accept assignment on a claim where you've enrolled as a non-participating provider, so let's use that $100 example again, but now because you're a non-participating provider, the allowed amount is gonna be 95% of what it would be if you were a participating provider. I know it's confusing. So use that $100 example I used for the uh, participating provider, now you're non-participating not, and you accept an assignment. Well, instead of the allowed amount being $100, now the allowed amount is, is only $95. Medicare will pay you 80% of $95, which would be $76. The patient's secondary insurance, if they have it, if not, perhaps the patient would be responsible for the other 20%, the other $19. You're thinking, well, Rick, why would I want to do, why do I want to do that? I'm getting paid $5 less overall. Well, the reason people choose to be non-participating is if on a claim, they choose not to accept assignment. So again, the allowed amount is still going to be 95% of what it would be if you were a participating provider. So now in my example, you're going to be a non-participating provider, not accepting assignment on this claim. So we're going to say the allowed amount would have been 100. 95% of that is $95. Now, because you're not accepting assignment, there's this thing called a limiting charge. And it's a 115% limiting charge, which means you can take that $95 multiply it by 1.15. And if my math is correct, I think it comes out to $109.25. That's actually what you would collect from the Medicare beneficiary, that data service. The Medicare beneficiary would pay you 109.25. You are still going to submit the claim to your Medicare administrative contractor. The Medicare contractor, remember the allowed amount was $95 they will pay 80% of that, $76, back to the patient. 
So by not accepting assignment, the portion Medicare pays gets sent to the patient because they've already, the patient's already paid you. The secondary insurance, you know, may or may not give the money to the patient. You know, so the secondary insurance may pay the $19, they may not pay the $19 back to the patient. But the other extra $14.25, the difference between 109.25 and the Medicare allowed amount of 95, that is coming out of the patient's pocket. Uh, the patient is paying for that extra unless they have a Medigap plan that they selected that covers the limiting charge. So there are some Medigap supplemental plans that a Medicare beneficiary can select that actually does cover, does pay that extra $1.15 amount. But you gotta, if you're gonna be a non-participating provider, you've got to be comfortable with your Medicare population that they're gonna be willing to come to you and most likely pay more money out of pocket than if they would go to a participating provider. And you know, when you look at the calculations and all that, you know, pretty well, you got to collect, you know, a, you know, about 90% or so of the extra money from the Medicare beneficiary to make the same amount of money if you were a participating provider. So you kind of got to, you know, kind of look at your, you know, your patient population. Does it make sense to be a non-participating provider? Got it. Uh, thank you for, oh, yeah, yeah that, that, it, that was, <laughs> you, you gave the entire guide there. So I appreciate that. Very thorough answer. Uh, my, my question for you, um, and we, we've talked a, about this uh, quite a bit in the past uh, within our group here, um, and I appreciate what you said there at the end. So I'll, I'll give quick real life examples for us. You know, we're doing, uh, yeah, we're roughly 7 million a year in revenue off the top of my head. 30% of that is Medicare. So we're doing a little over 2 million. We just took a look at that and we said, wow, like, this would be very risky for us because we don't think that the 90% or so, um, we didn't really trust our collections process for, yeah. for, for lack of a better term, that the person would be willing to pay, that our patient drop-off would be greater than the risk of, of doing that. So my question for you, Rick, is um, you, did you say that 1% of physical therapists are non-participating? It's estimated that less than 1%. So here, here is my guess, um, that there is a certain size where this just does not make sense to consider. So I, for you, do you know any practices that are like over a million a year in revenue that have successfully gone to the non-participating? No, I, my client, I do have a couple of clients that have selected to be non-participating. Uh, you know, quote by choice. And, you know, the reason I say by choice is some <laughs> selected to be non-participating by accident. You know, when you fill out the claim, when you fill out all your paperwork, you have to actually fill out that, that one form. I think it's a 460 that puts you as a participating provider where some people forget about that. And then they wonder why they're getting paid less. But the clients that I, I have a couple clients that uh, have selected to be non-participating with Medicare, but these are people that are maybe doing 30, 40 Medicare visits a, a month. You know, it's a, it's a small practices. Yeah, the, the I, I've always felt that it was a very high touch, almost like a, uh, I don't wanna use the term boutique, but I can't think of anything 
better to <laughs> say right now, but it, it, very um, intimate practice setting that was transitioning. And I, I frequently I've talked with owners that are growing and scaling multi-location practice, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 DPTs on staff, and they're considering this as a way to mitigate. And I, I just, I think it's a very tough transition. Yeah, I think, it would, I mean, if you're in Beverly Hills, California, I think you got a better shot than, you know, from, you know, I'll say Detroit, Michigan, yes. or if you're in downtown Los Angeles, California, I really think it's knowing your patient population. And, you know, obviously I have information on my website showing, you know, how much you really got to collect on the percentages of those that are not participating, just to get what you be, just to get what you would get if you were a participating provider. And if you go below that, you're actually making less money, but yet you're still doing the same amount of work. And like you said with collection, if you're going to go that way, you got to collect at the time of service. Because then if you've got to chase patients down, yes, you may get the money, but what is your cost to chase that person down in terms of somebody sending out an invoice, following up, calling, et cetera, as you know, Chad, that's a, that's a dollar amount that is taken off your profit, like it or not, because that person is doing that instead of something else they could be doing. Yeah, and, and it's it's a easily overlooked. Oh, yeah. And, and it's, it gets progressively more expensive to, to collect a dollar yep. uh, with a diminishing return as well. So um, something else that I wanted to get into from uh, our prep call uh, was the uh, Medicare Advantage plans. Mm -hmm. um, it, can you go into that, common misconceptions that you see in the marketplace and how we can mitigate that in, in private practice? Sure. So I, again, when people like myself and other consultants, even Chad, when we, when we say Medicare, we're talking traditional Medicare. Uh, Medicare Advantage is something completely different. So what I'm seeing a lot of is, especially with the private practices, especially the small private practices, and you know, I'm sure you're seeing all these mobile private practices start out where they're going into people's homes. You know, typically what I'm seeing is they do enroll in the traditional Medicare program, but then choose to stay out of network. They don't enroll with any other insurance carriers. So of course, the big question is then Medicare Advantage. And people think, well, because I'm not enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans, you know, I can just charge the patient my cash rate, have them pay me whatever. I'll give them a super bill. They can submit and get paid back whatever they get paid back. And that's not a, that's not a good assumption. So with Medicare Advantage, you know, when a patient chooses a plan, they're going to choose either a plan that is a PPO or an HMO. Now, I'll start with the easy one first. Typically, most HMOs do not have out-of-network benefits. So you've got a patient, Medicare Advantage patient, that wants to see you for physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech therapy. You take down their insurance. You know, I would, you're going to be the one to call, you know, someone's going to call this insurance company, find out, you know, is an HMO or oh, it is, okay, do they have out of network benefits? If they say no, you can then charge that Medicare Advantage patient, whatever you want, your, your cash rate, your fee, and that patient would be completely responsible financially to pay you for those services. You can give them a receipt if you want. You don't submit a claim to the Medicare Advantage plan because the patient has no out-of-network benefits. So that's typically an HMO. Now, 
most Medicare Advantage PPO plans, you know, if they, for some reason, don't have any out-of-network benefits, be the same logic. You can charge the patient whatever you want. They are fully 100% responsible for your charges. However, most Medicare Advantage PPO plans have out-of-network benefits. When you call, they have out-of-network benefits. So if that's the case, you're going to have to submit a claim to the Medicare Advantage. You don't have to enroll in the Medicare Advantage plan, but you're still going to have to submit a claim, and they might ask for a W-2 or something for your business entity in order for them to pay you, but you're not getting, you're not getting contracted with the Medicare Advantage plan. Now, if they have a PPO with out-of-network benefits, you are going to be limited in how much you're going to get paid. It's going to be what Medicare would have paid you. So between what the Medicare Advantage plan pays and the patient's financial responsibility, their cost sharing responsibility, those two combined will equal at least what traditional Medicare would have paid for that same visit but you're gonna to have to submit the claim to the Medicare Advantage plan. Great, thanks for the clarification there. Anything else that we should understand about Medicare Advantage plans in terms of? Uh... Uh, you know, I think that's a, I mean, we could, I mean, you know, obviously you, you just crushed quick, it pretty good. You know, just real quick, a misconception, you know, people think, you know, Med Medicare Advantage plans follow all of the traditional Medicare rules and regs like, you know, certs and research, Medicare's eight minute rule, 10th visit progress report, you know, the CQCO modifiers are gonna be talking about things like that. That's not actually true. You know, so everything like Medicare is called eight minute rule, 10th visit progress report, certs and research and CQ and CO modifiers, that's only applies to traditional Medicare. Can a Medicare Advantage plan you know, implement those things I just said? Can they implement the therapy threshold? They could, but most do not. So I think that's a misconception too. Okay, and the, the easiest way to find out what they do implement and adopt would be reading the contract, right? Or, or their guide. Well, not like you're laughing. Uh, you know, ideally, you know, obviously I know you've got lots of contracts. You, you know, you read a lot of therapy policies on their websites. Uh, you know, sometimes it says what they do. Sometimes it doesn't say what they do. And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, for Medicare Advantage, I think it's a safe assumption that most of them don't follow the therapy threshold. You know, they're not doing CQ, CO, those kind of things. But, but again, you, you do need to read your contracts. You do need to go on their website, look at for therapy policies, things like that. And then sometimes, you know, for you country fans, as that song goes, uh, life's a dance you learn as you go sometimes. So I think it's very important to look at the, you know, the explanation of benefits, the ERAs, you know, is everything being paid? If not, you know, why not? What's going on? Why are some of these CPT goes not being paid? I think that's how we figure some things out as well. Yeah, great. So you, you mentioned uh, CQCO codes now quite a few times. Can you go through and explain um, what those are and what they mean uh, to the private yeah. practice PT. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back on February the 9th of 2018, you know, Congress passed legislation that then President Trump signed into law that repealed the therapy cap. So I, I know people say we still have a cap. No, we don't. That, that therapy cap language is gone, retroactive to January 1 of 18. We still have an annual therapy threshold. 
Well, that was the good piece of that legislation. The bad piece that got snuck in about two or three days before it got passed was beginning on January 1 of 2020 for traditional Medicare, uh, services that are provided either in whole or in part by either a physical therapist assistant or an occupational therapy assistant would have to have the CQ modifier put on those CPT codes on the claim form if done by a PT assistant or the CO modifier if done by an OT assistant. Now for 2020 and 2021, CMS is just going to be kind of collecting the data and all that. It won't affect your payment because they want to see, you know, how much of the therapy is really being done by an assistant. However, beginning next year, beginning January 1 of 2022, any CPT code submitted to your Medicare contractor that contains either the CQ modifier or the CO modifier, those codes will be paid at 85% of what they would have been paid at if done by a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. Now, we already know TRICARE has already implemented this and it will affect payment in 2022. United Healthcare has already implemented this, will affect payment in 2022. Humana has already implemented this, will affect payment in 2022. I'm not a rocket scientist here. I fully expect other payers to jump on this bandwagon. You know, don't be surprised to see Aetna and Cigna and maybe your state Blue Cross. I can see some work comp carriers doing this because if they can pay 15% less for the same service if done by an assistant compared to a therapist, I think they're going to go for the 15% savings. That's just my opinion. Yes. And just to help us all uh, palette this a little bit more because frequently you know, as physical therapists, we feel like we're constantly getting beat up with declining reimbursements. And this is yet one more knock. I believe yeah. that other medical professions have gone through this as well. Correct. Yeah, great question. And, and you know, obviously, I, I never said this is CMS, but if, if you and I, Chad, were talking a couple of years ago, or I was talking to somebody else, I mean, I would bring this up and I go, man, I don't know why they haven't figured this out yet. Because a physician if he or she says employs a physician assistant, for example, in his or her office. Now, if the physician assistant sees the, the patient, but the physician is also involved that day as well, the physician can bill for that visit and get paid at 100%, the normal rate. However, if a physician assistant did the visit all by him or herself, or if a physician assistant had his or her own practice, a nurse practitioner had his or her own practice and saw a Medicare patient, they only got paid 85% compared to a physician. So if a physician built this CPT code and a physician assistant built the same exact CPT code, the physician would get, say, paid $100, the physician assistant $85. So this already did exist with physician assistants, nurse practitioners, et cetera. Uh, if they had their own practice away from a physician. So, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I wonder what took so long for CMS to figure this one out, but. Yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of count it as a, an advantage, a bonus that we had uh, the last few years. Yes, yeah. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. <laughs> it, talk, that, I, I, think, I, don't think you, I don't think your listeners are gonna agree with that one, but we'll go with it. No, I, I, we, we're 50-50 we're employing uh, we have an equal number of PTs and PTAs, and we're looking ahead at 
you know, how this is going to affect us and trying to figure that out right now. And I think that's a great point, if you don't mind, if I kind of talk on this, because of course, everyone's knee-jerk reaction is we're going to replace all the assistants with therapists. And I think it's I think it's going to depend on you know where where's your business located you know what state are you in but also what part of that state are you in and how much of your businesses say medic you know these insurances that are going to implement CQCO versus what percent of your business won't implement it but it's also just looking at you know what's the cost I'll just use Medicare as an example what's it cost you to have a PT do a Medicare visit. What's the cost you have a PT assistant do a Medicare visit right now? Then take, say, 15% off the PT assistant. What's the cost? And might the profit margin still be greater if a PT assistant did the visit than a PT? And I think some states and some practices, the profit margin will still be greater with an assistant doing the visit over PT. And then I think sometimes it won't be. And that's what you just have to look at. But you also have to then figure out all, you know, if Medicare is only 13% of your business and then Humana is nothing, United Healthcare is 8%, and where we got TRICARE is zero, but maybe only about 21, 22% of your visits is going to be impacted by CQCO, where the other 78, 79% is not. And I think that's what people need to look at and not do knee jerk reactions. Yes. From running the numbers uh, and experience and talking about this with uh, all experts in the industry, they are eerily close. I, I can tell you that because we've run the PT only model, which just is not feasible for us Correct. Um, to turn around and hire you know, 20 or 25 DPTs this year. It's not going to happen. And yeah. we have loyalty to our PTAs on staff that have been with us for 10 plus years as well. Um, but it, it is super close. Um, okay. in terms of uh, income and expenses. So uh, more on that later. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the next thing that I wanted to get into is um, you, you had the, I, I believe it's 112 localities in, and you took uh, an actual table of common uh, treatment codes and, and evaluation codes and how, and basically how the Medicare reduction that originally was 9% and now is roughly 3.2 or 3.3%. And you took that for your locality of uh, Detroit, Michigan and applied that. Um, it had been a while that I, since I thought about localities. So thank you for bringing that back. I, it, it jogged my memory though a little bit. Um, can you explain a, a little bit in, in terms of uh, because I know many owners, myself included, thought that 9% reduction uh, that was originally on tap, that that, that was going to happen across the board. And that's not really the case. It's kind of a conglomerate of uh, the reduction for the various charges. So uh, can you talk through that a little bit and also what you're seeing um, it, with regards to how this has affected uh, practice owners that, that are uh, accepting participating with Medicare? Yeah. So, you know, as you said, you know, the Medicare program has 112 different payment localities across the 50 states, plus District of Columbia, uh, the Virgin Islands, American Samoa, Puerto Rico, and Guam. I believe it or not, that is Medicare. Uh, so you want to open a clinic in Puerto Rico or Virgin Islands and you need a consultant, get me down there. That'd be a good on-site one, right, Chad? Uh, we'll probably be with you, Chad. We've got to get that going. I I'm in. 
we can uh, help with marketing. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so the, the reason they have different payment localities is, is the cost to provide the service is going to be different, say, in Los Angeles, California, compared to, say, Mobile, Alabama versus uh, Boise, Idaho, you know, obviously and all that. So they, they kind of come up with what they call a geographic price cost index. Uh, it's a complicated formula that involves the work relative value unit, practice expense, malpractice, that could be a whole talk by itself. So for example, maybe a unit of exercise in Los Angeles, California, you know, maybe the Medicare allowed amount is say $33. In Detroit, Michigan, that same unit of exercise, maybe the Medicare allowed amount is $30. In Mobile, Alabama, maybe it's $28. So it, it, it's different depending where you're at. Now we were expecting this to you know, be quote a 9% cut uh, in the reimbursement for Medicare in 2021. But because of, of legislation that was passed, uh, instead of being a 9% cut, end up being about a, we estimate effective PTOT speech about 3.3%. Now, does that mean every CPT code went down 3.3%, you know, from 2020 to 2021? And the answer is no. Some of them went down less than that. Some of them went down more than that. Uh, because what went down by 3.3% is what they call the conversion factor. And that is really what determines the final payment for a CPT code. But each CPT code also has a work relative value unit, a practice expense relative value unit, a malpractice expense relative value unit. Well, if, though, if that value for each one of those RVUs, if they went either up or down in 2021 compared to 2020, that would affect payment as well. And then also because of the different payment localities, uh, there's that geographic price cost index for the work one for practice expense, one for malpractice expense. So depending, you know, if those went up or down, that could also affect the payment for a CPT code. So people wonder why, well, Rick, this thing, this code went down 3.8%, not 3.3. Well, that tells me then that either the relative value unit or units of the code went down or the geographic price cost index for that locality, one of those went down. And that's why you saw a bigger decrease in that, where the valuation codes, as I'm sure you all saw, you know, they went up a lot in payment. And that's because you saw a significant increase in the work and practice expense relative value units of that. So it's not, it wasn't a quote 3.3 to every CPT code, but CMS based on, you know, they know how many units of each code gets billed every year. So as they take all that into consideration, the average they're thinking is going to be about a negative 3.3% to providers. Very fair. The, um, the eval codes, just as an aside, went up roughly 16%, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. My, my question, when I uh, look through your, the chart that you have here, um, the, are the percentages, do they hold true across all localities? So, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. Good question. So, it, you've got the article in front of you. So, you know, I think for Detroit, for the PT values, you said it was about 16%. Yeah, the, uh, I can find it here 16.07%. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was for Detroit, Michigan. In another locality, 
it's going to be either a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Each one would not be exactly 16.07 because of the geographic price cost index. So the RVU for the PT eval code for the work practice, practice expense and malpractice, that's the same across all 112 localities. But the geographic price cost index for Detroit, Michigan for work, what I'll call now PE, practice expense and malpractice, each one of those three numbers would be different than all the, the other 111 payment localities. Wow. So, you know, Michigan, I think for the work relative value unit is a 1.000. Well, another locality, the work might be a 1.098. The practice expense for Detroit, Michigan, I think, might, I think was like 0.989. Well, another locality, it might be a 1.124. So it could be higher then. Because okay. then when that formula is done, it becomes higher. Got it. Um, that sounds very complex. <laughs> it <laughs> is. And that's why I can only give one example in the magazine because I'm limited how many words I get. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, the, essentially what we're saying though, if, the, if, if we take a step back as a practice owner, depending on the where we're located we have we're going to be affected by market conditions with regards to space yeah. with regards to employment costs etc and that is to be reflected in our reimbursement from medicare correct and and, and you know then people say you know well, well i don't do much medicare so i don't really care what they do well we need to care what they do because many other insurance carriers they base their fee schedule off the Medicare physician fee schedule. You know, they'll base it off what CMS comes up with, with maybe the RV used for each CPT code or that conversion factor. You know, there are some payers that say, well, we pay 110% of what Medicare pays. We pay 90% of what Medicare pays. Well, if Medicare goes down three, 4%, 90% of that is now three to four point, you know, that's less two. Yes. So that's what people forget. Got it. This is great. Um, I had a couple other notes here. The talked about that. Um, you, you, in prep for this call, we talked about, uh, and I hope I wrote this down right, QMB. Yeah, QMB, Qualified Medicare Beneficiary Program. Yeah, and so what is that and how does that relate to the, the practice owner? Yeah, so QMB again, Qualified Medicare Beneficiary Program. And these are typically duly enrolled Medicare beneficiaries. They're enrolled in traditional Medicare, and then they have Medicaid as their supplemental secondary insurance. And it's estimated about one in eight Medicare beneficiaries are also enrolled in the QMB program. You think, oh, who cares? Well, if a Medicare patient is in the QMB program, Remember, Medicare only pays 80% of the allowed amount. Well, then you got Medicaid. As I'm sure many of you know, typically if a patient has Medicare Medicaid, you know, Medicaid doesn't pay the other 20% in most states because they're going to say Medicare already paid more than we would have paid. And then you think, well, can I build a patient? Well, if they're in a QMB program, you cannot bill the patient. It's actually illegal to bill the patient for their 20% co-insurance 
or the Medicare Part B deductible or anything like that. Believe it or not, if you had a patient say, Chad, I want to pay you. I feel guilty. I want to pay you. Chad cannot collect the money <laughs> that he has to politely turn the person down. So the patient cannot even voluntarily offer to pay the 20%. You cannot accept it from them. Also, since we talked about this earlier, if you are a non-participating provider in the Medicare program, now again, remember you enrolled and you chose to be non-participating and you have the option of either accept an assignment or not accept an assignment on a claim-by-claim -claim basis. However, if a patient is in the QMB program and you're a non-participating provider, you must accept assignment on that claim and you're only gonna get paid 80% and you can't get the other 20%. You also cannot do the 115% limiting charge. Great. Thank you for the clarification there. Um, th I, I have one more question that I wanna ask you about the, the future where everything's headed and I'll, I'll at least give you some uh, things that I'm seeing and we can have a discussion about that. Sure. But before we get there, Rick, um, what's the best way for people to learn more about you, how you help practices or reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, you have a couple ways to get me. Um, you know, one, if you go to my website, which is www.goenda, so it's G-A-W-E-N-D-A, goendaseminars.com. And you can check out you know, my services there. I have a, what I call a gold website membership where you pay a annual fee. It's good for a year, gets you access to all the content on my website, all the current news, updates, frequently asked questions, et cetera. Uh, I can give you my, I don't know if you want my phone number or email. Is that going to be? Whatever you prefer. Okay. Uh, you know, if you want to send me an email, that can just be info, I-N-F-O at goendaseminars.com. You know, I, obviously I do consulting for PTs, OTs, SLPs, and everything, you know, Chad and I were talking about, as well as, uh, you know, denial management. God forbid you have any legal issues going on, but I... I do legal consultation, expert witness testimony, things like that. And I'll give the phone number 661-645-1490. 661-645-1490. You're brave, Rick. I appreciate I you sharing your phone number there. That's great. And, and just saying, I do prefer phone calls via texting, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> great. Got it. So uh, appreciate you sharing, uh, sharing that for everybody listening here. Um, the, the, I, I'm a believer and I, I I've talked with, uh, basically I have three mentors. Um, the youngest is 61, the oldest is 87, 88 wow. years old. And the, the, there are three very different businesses and all in their own way said, Hey, uh, you should look at there, there's going to be opportunities in the marketplace that you can take ad advantage of anytime there's a major downturn like mm -hmm. this. And some you know, were referencing real estate, others were referencing uh, personnel in the talent pool that is available today. Um, we, we have just recently, I, I have felt this uh, um, surge, like the, the, there's an easing, a, a sentiment of easing, like you talked about earlier when we were discussing telehealth. Mm -hmm. And we have record numbers of people coming in on a, uh, we're setting 
Many of our clinics have set weekly records in terms of uh, new patients and visits coming through, people being reactivated. And then in the company, it's like every week we're setting a new record. And it's, it is unreal um, to me. And I've never seen anything like this before. You, you obviously have a, a long career in physical therapy. You've seen some trends. Is there anything um, other, other than the personnel or opportunities that are available that we should be aware of as private practice PTs to try to make the most of the what we just went through over the last 12 or 15 months? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. I mean, we touched on this, I think telehealth. Uh, you know, I, I know when I started teaching, you know, telehealth as the pandemic started and all that, and I was doing my webinars, you know, I, I kept saying, if you only listen to this webinar right now, learn to do telehealth just during the pandemic and you're trying to figure all this out for the short term, don't do it because it's, it's going to take you months to figure everything out, you know, get your policies, procedures in place, make sure you're HIPAA compliant and, and all this other stuff. So, you know, obviously, I don't want to do name dropping, but, you know, you, you, you and I both know who was doing telehealth big around the country uh, before telehealth became the latest craze in, in 2020. And, you know, obviously, they were doing it on a cash-based business and doing very well. So my hope is those that got into it due to COVID, I hope they can continue that because I, I think that can be a nice hybrid model especially in, in say the rural areas. I also think it could be very beneficial in those states where you might have quote bad winters. You know, we have the snow and the ice and kind of shuts parts, you know, shuts you down and, and all of that. So I think that's one piece of it. You know, I think something, you know, I've said all the time that I just don't think we go out and do is the fitness, the wellness, the prevention, the, what I call the post-therapy exercise programs, things like that, where that is a cash business. And, you know, I'm sure you see on social media and all that, just PTs griping about athletic trainers and these individuals charging cash and doing this. And will we do it better? Okay, well, I agree. We, do it, we can do it better, but we're not doing it better because you're not doing it. They are doing it. Um, so, you know, how can we do that? And some of us is going to be looking at then space because I'm sure Chad, you know, many of the clinics, they're you know 1,200 square feet, 1,500 square feet, 2,000 square feet, and they're just kind of packed right now, just doing the therapy visits. So I guess seeing the the vision to do you rent more space, do you do it somewhere else, and look at these cash cash services. You know, we're seeing more PTs I think get into nutrition and all that and, and going that way as well. So, you know, obviously I'm old school, uh, you know, when I say that, uh, it'd be 30 years this November for me graduating PT school. And I'm one of those old timers with the bachelors, uh, didn't go back for master's or doctorate. So now you're spending minimum seven years in school to get a DPT. Many of you may be going eight or nine because of the prereqs and all that. But I also think you get in better education in terms of nutrition, diet, you know, exercise, you know, things like that. Yeah, I agree. So it sounds like you said uh, the telehealth, the, the term that I wrote down in my notes was long-term greedy. Like if you're going to commit to that, make sure it's a long-term strategy. And uh, I, I echo the same sentiment last March and April, you know, now is not the time to figure that out. And one quick story I'll share there is we had a therapist. Um, yeah, this, 
I'll, I'll try to shorten this up as much as possible. We had a therapist who is very, very successful at online webinars, converting those people over to patients. Okay. And this is somebody internal here, Dan Hinnerschitz. The thing that people didn't realize is Dan had three or four dozen online webinars that were what we would call failures. Okay. That he, he you know, this is an entirely different skill set online, looking at Zoom, uh, you know, engaging the camera, engaging people that you can't see. How do you do that? And there was a learning process there. If he would have had to figure that out, if he would have started last March 13th, when the pandemic hit here in central Pennsylvania, yep. he would have been, that would have been ridiculous expectation for us to, to say, hey, you need to figure this out in the next month or two. Yep. Luckily, he had been doing it for a few years beforehand, and he could really hit the ground running there. Um, so yeah, I completely get you, you have to give yourself uh, some grace in terms of the learning curve there. It can be an epic failure. Yeah. And, and it's just also, you know, obviously because I do the legal work, again, not to scare anybody, but just make sure you have your policies and procedures in place for telehealth uh, because there are going to be some things specific to that, especially the emergency stuff. You know, I'm a PT, I'm doing a telehealth visit with Chad. I see Chad right now. He's smiling. He does one of these and he goes, I'm like, Chad, Chad, you see Chad, you there? You know, watch your process in place. And again, I know the odds of it happening are slim. But if I had a dollar for every time I had a PT or an OT and a system telling me I never thought this would happen, I never thought I'd be in court or have to retain somebody like you, I'd probably be retired. You know, so sometimes it does happen. So I think it's just making sure that you're just covered just in case something does happen, you know, make sure you check with your malpractice insurance that that covers telehealth and all that. And again, if you can get into fitness and wellness and prevention, you know, make sure your current malpractice, does that cover that? Do you need a rider on top of that as well? Right. Yep. And uh, it, it sounds like uh, cash-based services have been on the rise. Obviously yeah. the pandemic um, has forced uh, our hand a little bit in, in terms of quicker adoption, adoption there. The, the other one that I'll give you, because I appreciate what you said about a, a therapists getting upset about the athletic trainers or uh, the personal trainers uh, mm -hmm. that are out there. Um, there is a, a gentleman that I started following and I'm not going to say his, his name here because of what therapists uh, getting upset about that, but uh, it, he, he's basically promoting a, a performance, an athletic yeah. performance program. And there are a million people like this on uh, YouTube right now. But he went through and he actually talks about um, the research. Mm -hmm. And, he, he, and he's, he's gotten national play on like Joe Rogan experience and uh, you know, national recognition. And I noticed about half of what he said is very, very legit. It, it is... He's looking at the science the right way. And then he intertwines some opinion that mm -hmm. just, it screams out to me right away that that is not scientific. That is not legit. You just made that up. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually felt myself get upset a little bit. I was like, wow, this guy's really successful and he's messing up the science over here. And mm -hmm. then I went, I went to the same exact thing you did. I said, you know what? I, we could do this. It, it, there's no reason for me to be critical of him if I'm not, playing in the same field. So yeah. very much appreciate what you said there. Thank you for that. Yeah. And, and again, I think because you found him somehow by social media, I think that's one thing too, you know, whether it's me, my, me and my business, you and your business, your clients is, 
you know, social media and, and, you know, how do you improve your business and maybe try to get new things going in your business? I think it is social media. And it's, it's really trying to separate Rick Gawenda personal and Gawenda Seminars and Consulting, who is owned by Rick Gawenda. And, um, you know, making sure that you're, you're posting, if you're going to do business and stuff, is it going through the company? But then also be careful what you may want to post on a personal level, because like it or not, as I'm sure you know, it's, it's going to come back to you anyhow, going to seminars or, and all that. Because sometimes that turns me off of, of people, simply because I see that what their personal posts are and all that, but that's kind of getting off the subject, but sorry. It's, it's, no, it's great and it's very legit. And uh, the, the key thing there, especially, especially on the social media, is uh, it's easier to post something than you know you and I writing an article 15, 20 years ago and having it published at yeah. just a different time. Um, so it's easier to hit send right now than ever before. And my go-to mantra has always been just focus on giving value. If we do that, um, mm -hmm. we're going to be okay in the marketplace. And I think that carries through for not just physical therapists, but any clinician or business owner as well. Yeah. Great. So um, Rick, this was amazing. We covered a lot of ground here. Uh, most of it around Medicare and the misconceptions that are there. I thank you so much for, I know you're busy uh, planning a wedding or four or <laughs> whatever you have going on there. Everybody's so, three days. Excellent. So um, I thank you for taking the time out to share here with our listeners. Again, uh, for everybody, I'm going to give the uh, GoWendaSeminars.com. Uh, Rick does have his email on there and also the phone number as well. If you missed that earlier in the call, thank you much. Uh, so much for being here, Rick. Thanks, Chad. I mean, again, thanks for having me. It was great talking, and I uh, look forward to me doing it again. I'll talk to some other topics if you're interested, because we, you know, just touched Medicare today. So thanks a lot. Appreciate it.